1: Tommy Caster. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. caught touchdown! Kansas City! Hey, Chiefs Kingdom, we have you covered.
2: Joining Sports Daily Live, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel. And welcome back into the program. Hour number two here on Sports Daily, locked and loaded, and we kick things off and look ahead to the divisional round with the executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel. Dan, welcome back in. It's a game week. Hope you enjoyed the time off. No rest for the weary, because here we go. The best weekend of NFL football typically is this weekend, and the Chiefs get a rematch with the Jags. How are you today? I'm
3: good, man. I I did enjoy the week off. I did enjoy sitting on both Saturday and Sunday and just watching games as opposed to working. But uh, you're right. Week on, it is time for the divisional playoff.
2: Ah, Here we go. All right, I, I don't even know how much we look back at the first matchup. Jacksonville is, I think, you know, they've won six out of seven games coming out of their bye week, which came right after they lost that game to the Chiefs. Feels like this is probably a totally different team uh, than they saw the first time around. How much do you think you do look at the last time, or do you just throw that one out the window and look at what's happened more recently with this team?
3: Yeah, I think most teams are are more apt to look at the last three or four games that an opponent plays, not so much the history, although they, they might do both but I think they would put emphasis on the last four games because you're exactly right. There's evolution that takes place there. And I, and I think in, in particular with Doug Peterson and, and Trevor Lawrence, I just think you're, you're seeing that, that growth and that maturing. And, and so if you go all the way back to whatever it was week nine, I believe, or week 10, something like that, uh, you, you're probably not going to get the best picture of, of what needs to happen. As if you just look at maybe the way, the way they were playing as much as last week and the way they played the chargers, you know, at that, at a playoff speed, uh, is probably more relevant. So we know throughout
4: the course of Andy Reed's career, Dan, that, uh, he is a master when it comes to coming off of a bye week in the regular season, even in the postseason too. When you look at that preparation time, the extra week, uh, to be able to work with the players, put together a game plan on both sides of the ball. What is it that makes Coach Reed so successful in being able to be, uh, you know, so locked in, so in tune, and being able to just have tremendous results coming off a bye?
3: You know, I think for the most part, it's it's just how he dials in a particular uh, game plan to uh, defeat an opponent's weakness. You know, Bill Belichick always said, we're going to take away your, you know, your best player there. And I think, Coach Reed does somewhat the same where they look at the weakest spots of an opponent and they say, all right, here's how we're going to take advantage of those guys. And the additional time to prepare, I think, just gives them a, a better or, or more possibility to refine that. You know, I mean, sometimes I think if you if you think about writing, a, you know, just a, a Word document or whatever it is or an email, you know, you make your first pass and that's your – that's the bulk of what you're trying to say, but then you read through it and you realize, okay, I've misspelled that word. You know what? I could probably say this a little bit better if I if I did it. So the second pass, you get it a little more refined. The third pass, you're like, okay, yeah, now, now we're talking. I can send this. And so I, I think it's a lot like his game plan. Uh, it just gives him more time to refine that, to look over it and say, you know what? Th- that might work, but this would be a better way to do that. And and he is just so incredibly good at play design and then play calling. Uh, I think it gives him the time to, to kind of think through the, not only the first 15, that golden set, but the, you know, what, what, how they might adapt to what they might see. If they, they review last weekend's game against the chargers or or, uh, what what was that Saturday's game against the chargers, you, you have an opportunity to say, okay, look, they're, they're not doing this anymore. This is how they're defending that type of scenario. So we need to be ready for that as well. Doesn't always work. I think the Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers showed last night that the Cowboys showed them com- something completely different to the Bucks than what they were expecting. And, and so uh, it, it's always a little bit of a gamble. You can't you can't, you can't just say, look, this is their game plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. You have to be prepared for everything. But there is certainly always an emphasis on certain things that they think is going to happen. And so I think, you know, for Coach Reed, for his staff, the extra time just gives him uh, the ability to dial that in.
2: When you see what the Jags were able to do against the Chargers, we're speaking with executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel, how much does that – sort of shock the system if you're the chiefs as if they would ever plan on letting up, not that they would do that, but does, do you think that changes things to like, we're we're going to have to just keep coming out of, they, they hadn't down 27, nothing. I don't think the chiefs are ever going to be up 27 points in this game. So is that a little bit of a wake up call? If you're the next team to see what they did in the last one.
3: I think it has to be, I think in general, super wildcard weekend, was an example of that all weekend long, uh, with the possible exception of last night's game. I mean, you saw the Bills and the Bengals both struggle as well. I I think the one thing that was evident over this weekend of football was that none of these teams are just going to roll over and play dead. And and so I think if you're the Chiefs, you got to say, look, Doug Peterson has them much, much improved, probably to even what we saw last time, but certainly what we saw to the beginning of the season. And so we got to be ready for these guys. They're going to fight all 60 minutes. They're going to give it their all. They're going to come out here and try to do something. I think the insight to Doug Peterson is really interesting. You know, Doug knows Andy very well. He not only coached for Andy for a long time, he played for Andy. So I think Doug knows Andy very well, but the reality of it is guys, Doug Peterson's not going to be on the field playing this Saturday. That's going to be the player's, all he can do is coach. So while I think the Jaguars will come to town with a very good game plan, and I think you'll see some trick plays, I think you'll see some innovation that's designed specifically to beat the Chiefs, the problem is I just think it's going to be too big a stage for Trevor Lawrence for the for the Jaguars. I, I think, so to speak, they kind of played their Super Bowl last weekend in that comeback, and I think they're going to be emotionally a little bit tired and I think they'll come down. I think they'll struggle with the chiefs, but I don't think it will be a blowout. I I think the chiefs are going to going to have to play legit football here because the Jaguars are much improved.
4: Well, of course we all know the the storyline of of Trevor Lawrence throwing four first half interceptions last week. And then of course, bouncing back in the second half and, and leading the Jags to that comeback. How much of that do you credit to Doug Peterson and his influence working with quarterbacks and, being able to sort of rein in Trevor Lawrence and and be able to get him uh, to adjust from the first half to the second half. And then how do you think that that plays into the game this weekend?
3: Yeah, I would say it was everything, but, but you know, I'm, you got to give the player a little credit, but I I do think Doug Peterson's influence. I mean, one of the things about Doug is he is so just even keeled. He's hard to rattle. He's hard to get wound up or excited or depressed. He just, He stays really even, and he's always forward-thinking. And so I think that's definitely a factor in their ability to say, look, you know, I know what the stat says. I know what, you know, it feels like after you've turned the ball over, you feel like you let your teammates down. But, hey, there's a lot of football here left, and we're not going to quit here, and we're going to keep playing. And and teams are starting to show that the devastating, uh, you know, football bomb – of turning the football over is no longer a deadly one. You know, it's no longer a defeating move where it used to be maybe 20 years ago, if you had one turnover, if you were positive or negative, it could swing your win-loss percentage by as much as 90%. We're not seeing that anymore. We've seen games where Mahomes threw three interceptions and won the game. Trevor Lawrence threw four. It's just not quite the same, which is really fascinating to me having the years of football that I have to watch that statistic become not as important as it used to be. I just never dreamed it would be possible, but what you're seeing is these teams just refusing to give up playing all 60 minutes. They realize those last five minutes in the fourth quarter, you can still accomplish things. And, and, and we saw the third greatest comeback uh, in the, in playoff history on Saturday.
2: Well, maybe it's pace of play. Maybe it's whatever. The Chiefs have had turnover issues all year, right? Like they've they've done that. Yeah. And so, the Jags four and a half again. Like I think they played their worst half of football that they're that they're capable of playing, and they still won that game. And I just don't know that you can count on that. If you're the Chiefs, you got to count on them playing their best football, right? Like you 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 can't take for granted the fact that they did that last time because it's almost like they got it out of their system it's unlikely to me that they do that again now will Trevor Lawrence throw an interception yeah, maybe but not four in the first half
3: yeah i would think you know coming into Kansas City the the emphasis for him would definitely be on ball security because i don't think if you throw it to, you know if the chiefs if the chiefs take away two or three i, I think it would it would be a coffin, a nail nail in the coffin for the Jaguars. I just feel like, you know, we have too explosive an offense. Not that the Chargers don't, but the the Chargers were beat up, man. You know, not having their their stud wide receiver. They had some issues on defense. And there were definite uh, areas of opportunity for the Jaguars against the Chargers that won't exist against the Chiefs. However, if the Chiefs don't play quality football, I think the example here is set that if you have a bad quarter, the other team's going to take an advantage advantage of that, and I felt like, you know, to some degree, that was the issue with the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers were practically shut down in that second half. It just was amazing that the, the defense for the Jaguars was playing the way they were, and I felt like, you know, that was as much as their ability to score 31 points was how did the Chargers not score, you know, at least 10 points in that same amount of time. I thought I don't think that would happen against the Kansas City Chiefs. We've had seasons like that before, right? We all remember the Bengals games <laughs> from, from years past. And, and certainly I think that the thing that has been amazing about this season, the 2022 Chiefs, is that they can run the football. They have a rushing attack, and they can actually control that second half, whereas in seasons past, that hasn't been as uh, a, much of a, an ability as it is now. I
4: thought it was really interesting, uh, Dan, watching the the Jaguars play over the weekend, how effective Travis Etienne looked running the football. And I was thinking back to the last time these two teams matched up and Willie Gay was suspended. He didn't play uh, in the game. Of course, we know his run-stopping ability. Uh, what do you expect out of the, the run defense from Kansas City coming up this weekend?
3: Yeah, I think, I think one of the things you saw out of Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, both Nick finishing, I think, number two, in tackles in the national football league that's that's an impressive stat as a linebacker you're finishing number two in the entire league not just the afc but you're talking about out of all 32 teams uh so i I think that these two really uh first of all the physicality of the defense is really built for running the football uh to defend the, the run i should say you know they they don't it's no longer a finesse kind of try to be where the running back wants to go and make him turn and hopefully slow things down so that a few guys can get there. If a running back gets through the line, which frankly has been difficult, Mike Dana and you know, there's just been a number of guys that have, have really played that line well. And, and Chris Jones is rejuvenated with his ability to kind of influence the run game. But, for me, Nick Bolton and, and Willie Gay have just been run-stopping fiends. Uh, I think both of them are physical. They don't mind taking a hit. You know, I think one of the things that you see out of uh, some linebackers is after they've taken a full half of punishment by a running back, a guy like Derrick Henry, a guy like Etienne, uh, they start to tackle differently. They don't they don't get their full body across the front, and they try to grab at the guy and And that's, you know, you can't bring a good back down like that. And so uh, you don't see that out of either Willie Gay or Nick Bolton or Leo Chanel, for that matter, you know, I mean, I I really feel like uh, these guys are built to stop the run. I think they enjoy it. I think they're proud of that fact. The fact that they can drop into coverage when they need to is a plus, but they are run stopping linebackers. And I love that.
2: How much do you think the Chiefs want to run the ball this week, Dan, just to just to sort of. I guess what 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 pace makes the most sense to you for this game? Does it does it slowing it down make some sense here to keep the Jags off the field?
3: I mean, I think it always makes sense to some degree. I think for the Chiefs, though, they'll you know uh, Dana and Hughes is always fond of saying in Kansas city, we pass to run the football instead of run the football to pass. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, I mean, I think that the chiefs will come out and they will throw the ball around, but I think what they want to be able to do is in that second half, that's when they seem to dial up the, the running. It's like, all right, we've got a lead now. Let's just shut them down. Let our defense do the rest of the work. And, and so for the second half, I think they want to run the football. I think they want to have, the kind of days that Jerick McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco have been having. Uh, they want to do that again against the Jaguars, and I think they want to let their defense do the rest, especially on a team where you, if you can get a lead and force the Jaguars to not be able to really take advantage of ETN but put the ball in Trevor Lawrence's hands, not that Trevor Lawrence isn't capable, but I, I definitely think that's an, an easier thing to defend than Travis ETN.
4: Dan, talk a little bit about what you see with the relationship between Andy Reid and Doug Peterson. Uh, of course, I think that we we discussed it briefly when they played in the regular season, but uh, they've known each other for a long time, coached against each other multiple times, uh, and I think that there's there's clearly that healthy respect between the two of them. Uh, but from from your perspective and from from knowing them, talk a little bit about their relationship.
3: You know, I I think if you could characterize this. Uh, for those of us not in football, these guys text each other every week. I would suspect every week. And I would suspect after the Jaguars completed their defeat of the Chargers that uh, Coach Reed sent Doug a congratulations text. And Doug said, thank you. I'll see you. And I'll, I'll talk to you on Saturday. I, I think this is the only week they won't talk, but I think they're very close. I think they're, they're not only uh, have a great deal of respect for one another, but I think they truly enjoy each other. I, I think if if it weren't a situation where keeping Doug Peterson here would have been blocking his opportunity, coach would never have let him out the door. I think they're that close. I think they, they, they like each other to a level uh, personally that's beyond football, but I also think they respect each other on the football field and what they can what they can do. And I think Doug was an instrumental part of Alex Smith's success in Kansas city. I I think he's a creative guy. He was a quarterback. I think he understands the game uh, from a different perspective, even than coach Reed. And I think that's part of what coach Reed respected out of him. I think Doug is a little more, uh, he's uh, maybe a little bit more of a risk taker than coach Reed would be. I think the two of them combined was a good chemistry, but I think if you separated them and you said, Hey, you know, we're going to play the roulette wheel. How do you want to play? Doug would put it on a number. Andy would pot probably put it on a color, right? You know, I just, they're just a different risk tolerance between those two. And I think that's why you see some of the creativity, uh, the risks that the Doug will take the uh, trick plays that Doug will take that probably you wouldn't see out of Andy. Although I will say that's evolving and changing, right? I mean, we, we're seeing things out of Andy Reed. You remember when Coach Reed got here? I was reminded of this when I watched the just the complete abomination of clock management by the Chargers. I mean by the uh, Dolphins at the end of their game. And when Andy got here, one of the things I talked to Sal Palantonio and he said, Yeah, he says, You're gonna love Andy, but he says, he's just gotta learn to manage the clock. He just cannot manage the clock at all. And I've not seen that. Andy Reid is not the same coach that he was in Philadelphia. And then years later, we fast forward to the Super Bowl. Sal and I are sitting at the at, in Radio Row talking, and he said, "You know, I, I I hang around Andy now, and I just don't even recognize him. He's so different." So I think coaches evolve, you know. I think coaches learn, and I think Andy has been certainly one of the the coaches that has done the best job of that. And you think about 22 years in the National Football League, you're talking about three. Maybe four generations of players, and and where we've gone from you know the Ronnie Lots of the world and the Brett Farbs of the world to kind of a millennial base of players that are a little bit more personal than than maybe what uh, professional like what what Andy cut his teeth doing, uh, but I think he's done a great job of 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 learning, and I think for me you look at Doug and and their relationship. I just I feel like. While they know each other very well I, I just don 't feel like they 're inside each other 's skin. They are good, good friends, but I trust me when I say I think you 're going to see some some creative stuff this weekend going both ways, not just from the Jaguars but from the chiefs as well
2: all right dan let 's uh, let 's talk about the the network here Chiefs Radio network. you guys have the call all kinds of fun it 's a three thirty kick on Saturday. What do we have in store?
3: Uh, we, well, I've been talking back and forth with Melissa Stark, trying to get her on the air uh, for, with us on pregame, but it's a logistics, like she's going to be at this part of the stadium at this time, and we've got to be on the air here, and so we're kind of trying to work that out. If we don't get her, chances are we'll probably bring in Tariko. I thought he had a great call uh over the weekend on the uh, the Bengals game and so uh, I want to talk to him about that if we don't get Melissa Stark we're, we're probably gonna have Mike Tariq or Chris Collins on the air with us but good game plan uh our good broadcast plan I think it's gonna be an exciting weekend of football look as a Chiefs fan we're right where we want to be right I didn't want the Chargers coming to town I don't for some reason that worried me I'm excited about the Jaguars and I can't wait for this weekend I think it's gonna be really exciting
2: all right, you'll have it here on KFH, uh, or sorry, over on uh, KNSS Chiefs Radio Network. As always, Dan, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll do it again next week. See if we can get on to that AFC Championship game wherever it happens to be played. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, go Chiefs! There goes Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. We'll come back and preview the Sunflower Showdown tonight. Sports Daily rolling on a Tuesday. some Wichita Thunder tickets for this Saturday. A couple of free ice teas from HTO. Congrats, Bill. We'll do that again throughout the week. A um, couple other real quick NFL nuggets before we get into the Sunflower Showdown. The Commanders, uh, according to reports, getting close to a record sale. And the Chargers fire some offensive assistance, Tommy, which I think would indicate that Brandon Staley will be back. Uh, they're not making wholesale changes, but some changes on offense, so... I think we can probably take them out of the equation for Peyton or Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but let's talk Sunflower Showdown. KU comes in. The line's been around two points, two and a half points. Right now it's two and a half. On, no, it's actually moved to one and a half. Like literally as I was talking, the line moved on BetMGM. Now to just a one and a half point spread uh, to Kansas is favored. So basically a toss-up and a pick em here, Tommy. This is really interesting. I think it's a big tip of the cap to K-State to see that line that way. And quite frankly, it's the right way because I'm not sure the way Kansas is playing close games, anybody would have had any confidence, you know, with it being much more than that anyway. Uh, Expecting some points here, the over-under at 147. This is a tricky one to predict. Um, I think I lean KU here because I think KJ Adams could be a real problem for K-State. K-State what what we've seen out of Kansas, you know, at times is Bigs can give them trouble. Uh, you think back to the one game they've lost at Tennessee, K-State doesn't really have that. So then you think of a matchup of guards, right? And and those sorts of things. So I think I lean slightly here to KU, but man, it's tough. I could see it going any different direction. I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, K-State absolutely can win this game. And as you look at the Big 12 standings, they kind of need to win this game, right? It's going to be tough if they fall back another game and then a game in hand against KU. So, you know, is there desperation at this point? No. And Jerome Tang explained it well. Like, if we win this game and lose our next four, it doesn't really matter anyway. And I think that they are equipped to go one at a time here. This one's this one's tough to predict though. I'm I'm having a hard time getting a real good feel for it. Other than I think KJ Adams, the reigning Player of the Week in the conference, is is going to be big for KU tonight.
4: I'm going to stay completely away from the spread on this game. Uh, I do like the points. I'm going. I think I'm probably going to take the over on that, uh, just because of what we've seen Kansas State be able to do, scoring the basketball. Uh, 113 points against. Uh, Texas and then you know what they score in the 90s against Baylor uh, in that overtime game and then we know Kansas can score the basketball as well although they didn't against uh, the really tight Iowa State defense over the weekend inside Allen Fieldhouse but um, I like the points in this that's going to be probably the way that I play this but you know because it's a coin flip because it's a pick 'em, um I, I agree with that I mean I don't look at that line and think oh they've got it wrong uh, that it's it should yeah. be bigger one way I or another like I'm I'm right there on the one and a half, and I don't really have, I know this is kind of a cop-out, I don't really have a good handle on either way. Like, I could literally see either team winning, and, uh, you know, in fact, I I might even give the nod to Kansas State because it's at home, and we know the environment is going to be crazy. Um, I, I said it yesterday, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Kansas State gets back on the right side of things, and they get a win. Um, I think it's going to come down to whether or not KU can get out in transition um, because what we've seen from Kansas State so far this season is that when teams are running half court sets against them, defensively, Kansas State is pretty good. Uh, But if Kansas can get out and run in transition, that might be an area where they do have an advantage if they can get Grady Dick open uh, in transition. I think that's going to go well for the Jayhawks. And then, of course, we all know, like you mentioned, KJ Adams, he can stretch the floor with the best of them. And so getting out and running is going to be, I think, the best way for KU to quiet the Bramlage crowd and to get a victory tonight.
2: Yeah, I do too. Um, Grady Dick probably needs to be big tonight to, to help that I'm, I'm very curious to see how he responds. K-State is going to get after him. Which Bill Self acknowledged. He said something to the effect of, "I'm sure they'll be real happy to see him come through the doors." There, uh, <laughs> they're they're going to get after Grady Dick, and and I'm I can't wait to see him and how he reacts to that. This will certainly be the most hostile environment he individually plays in. But you know, it's it's hard to predict because either team is capable of doing what they want to do in this game, and they're not that different either. I don't think, Tommy. Like I I do think that KU's ahead of K-State defensively, generally speaking. Um, and I'm not sure that K-State's not a little ahead of KU in in the explosive category, right? In in explosive plays, in getting on a run or getting hot. So it really is gonna be a sit back and enjoy it and and just sort of watch it kind of game. We won't see KU this tight in a spread probably the rest of the way, I don't think so. And that tells us something, right? That tells us that the metrics and the things that matter are beginning to really come onto K-State when I think they were slow to them naturally. But they're coming off of a big loss to TCU, remember? like We're excited about this now, and and I'm glad that we can put that one in the rearview mirror. But we don't know if that has any lingering effect either. I don't suspect that it will, but it still hangs out there that TCU dominated the game against them just a few days ago.
4: I'm a little bit concerned, going back to KU, about the lack of bench production. Uh, They had four guys come off the bench against Iowa State, and they scored two points. Uh, all the other points in the game came from the starters. The only two points came from Zach Clements off the bench. Bobby Pettiford played 19 minutes, didn't score. Zubi Ejiofor played seven minutes, didn't score. Joe Yesifu, seven minutes, didn't score. So I'm a little bit concerned about the bench production, uh, especially if somebody like a Grady Dick or a K.J. Adams gets into foul trouble. We've seen DeWan Harris yeah. get into foul trouble too. Uh, what are they going to do, and, and who is Bill Self going to be comfortable with going to off of the bench when you might be late in the game and you need production from somebody like I don't think that the Jayhawks can afford to be down a couple of players in foul trouble late in the second half I mentioned it yesterday I think this game is going to be uh, a one possession game at the end and so you know I don't know if you've got one or two players for the Jayhawks that potentially are in foul trouble that's going to be concerning and you better believe that Jerome Tang and the Wildcats squad they know that and so part of it's going to be try to get these guys in foul trouble because there's just not a lot of production right now coming from the KU bench
2: but do you think that K-State is equipped to play that way because I'm not sure that I think that they are you know I don't know that they're capable of really slowing it down and trying to get it inside and doing those things because the reality for K-State is too like K-State can't afford to get in foul triple either. They've got a short bench also. Both of these teams play with short benches. Both of these teams are top-heavy in their scoring. So I think it could go—I think you could flip that around a little bit too.
4: But I I do think—I do think that K-State is really good at getting shots at the rim. Like, I've watched them do that throughout the course of the season. Where they're able to get down into the post. Not, Not the bigs necessarily, but aggressive play. To get down, you know, sure. and creating shots at the bucket, drawing those fouls. Uh, so again, like I think that that's got to be the strategy. Like, m- maybe not even necessarily slowing KU down, but if you're go, if KU is going to be aggressive running and and in transition, then I think that Kansas State can match that and match that aggressiveness and try to draw some fouls.
2: I, I think I think KU would like this game to be a little slower even than K-State would. But you're right. Keontae Johnson becomes an X factor there, too. He's as good a creator as there is in the league, right, at the rim. So if he can get some fouls called, and they are at home, which does help a lot of the time, that that is important. K.J. Adams, I do think, though, can flip a script on him. If if this is a K.J. Adams game, the same thing could happen at K-State. I think those are probably the two key players for me, are K.J. Adams and Keontae Johnson. I think, you know... Marquise Noel can go off at any point, so can Grady Dick, and and I suppose those come in, but it feels to me like Keontae Johnson and KJ Adams will have the biggest impact on this game, one way or the other, and and the pace will be interesting to you know digest a little bit early. Will Bill Self try to run with K State or will he try to play to their advantage? You know, KU will. If this is one of those games, and they won't have it often, but they have it here. Where they're gonna be able to have offensively a size advantage, I think, and and can they slow things down and utilize that and play more like we've seen them play in the past couple of years? I don't know the answer to that. I have no idea. I mean that's leave that to to the smart coaches to decide the, the pace that they want to play at. I can almost guarantee you that K State wants to push it and play fast. Um I think just, we're
4: gonna see that from both teams. Like I I, I don't think and of course, like I, I'm not Bill Self and I'm not Jerome Tang, but I, I think that they're gonna wanna play the kind of game that is going to fit their teams best. And if it means that both teams are gonna get up and run, then more than likely that's probably what yeah. they're gonna do. Like I don't necessarily think that we're gonna see either one of these coaches try to change what their team does best to combat the other team. Like they're gonna they're gonna both do what they do well and that's play fast and aggressive and you know, try think to score you're the right. basketball. I wonder, though, Dewan Harris on Saturday didn't score. He didn't need to score in that game against Iowa State, but he's been kind of the Swiss Army knife for KU. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you need a bucket, he's going to be there. Uh, when you need him to distribute, he can do that, too. When you need him to lock down defensively, he's there. So what I like with Dewan Harris, he's kind of that chameleon, right, where he can do... Different things depending on the situation. So, while the overall game plan probably won't change for either team and it probably won't change for KU, I think that what some of these players, like Dewan Harris, what they do in the game can change depending on the need in that moment. And so, that's what I'll be looking for, uh, at least from Dewan Harris.
2: I think we're going to see Dewan Harris focus defensively. I think the absolute last thing KU wants in this game is for Marquise Noel to get hot and go off. Right. If they can take that away, that would be, even though we talked about Keontae Johnson and his impact on the game being massive. And I still, I still believe in that. I think if you had to, like, if Bill Belichick, right, is saying, we're going to take one thing away, I would suspect that KU would like to take away Marquise Noel before everything else that happens. Um, And so I think that's probably where a lot of Dewan Harris's attention goes tonight. I'd be pretty surprised if this is one of those nights where he just gets a, you know, gets buckets where you're like, where is this all the time, right? He's a true point guard, but he can score when they need him to. But I think his focus will be defensively. Um, But look, we're we're scatterbrained on this game, and that's a good thing. We're scatterbrained on it because it's a really tricky game to get a good grasp for. The other piece of this is it's Jerome Tang's first shot at Bill Self, right? And and I agree with you, KU's going to run it because – you know, that was sort of the key. You know, Oklahoma and Iowa State tried to slow KU down, and it worked for a time until KU was able to open things up. So, yeah, I I suspect KU wants to run too. But it's the first Bill Self versus Jerome Tang matchup that we're going to get. And no disrespect to Scott Drew because I think he's, he's a great coach. Jerome Tang is going to face now the best coach he will have faced and will face every year that he will face at least twice a year. And this is round one here. That, that that piece of this matters, too.
4: The last Kansas State coach to defeat KU in their debut in the Sunflower Showdown was Frank Martin. He did it back in, I think, 2008 or 2009, whatever that year was when he replaced Bob Huggins. Uh, it, Bruce Weber didn't do it. Uh, and so Jerome Tang can join Frank Martin in that uh, in that conversation. Bob Huggins didn't do it. There hasn't been another K state coach. You have to go all the way back into the 1920s to find a coach from Kansas state that defeated KU in their debut sunflower showdown. Uh, And so that's pretty elite company that Jerome Tang can join. Um, But we all know the recent domination of Kansas in the sunflower showdown Um, Kansas state hasn't defeated KU since 2019. It's been a few years. And, but I think that this is their best, their best chance. Clearly, uh, to be able to get a victory inside Bramlage with the hot start. And they're hungry coming off that loss to, to, to a TCU.
2: I, I don't think that I'm going to put a whole lot into the recent history of, of this series because I think both of these teams are so different and have so many new faces. It's pretty hard to lean back too much. I mean, Dwan Harris and Jalen Wilson obviously have a lot of experience in this series. But K-State is... Like, they're totally new. They're totally different than they have been. So I do think it's sort of a reset and a refresh on that, you know, series history because you've just got two very different rosters. All right, let's make some predictions. I'm going to go ahead and take KU to win it uh, because I I can see more paths and more critical things happening to help them get there. I'm like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident I I am in that, it's like a 1. But if I've got to pick one, (laughs) I'll pick Ku. What do you think, Tommy?
4: Well, I'll tell you the bet that I just made. Uh, So I, I use all the different sports books. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have any kind of anything holding me to one of them. So on DraftKings, there is a boost uh, for the for the spread. So I I took that. I took Ku to cover just because they were getting plus money on that boost. But in real life, I I got no idea. Uh, I have no clue. Uh, I guess I'll just take my heart and say KU, but again, it wouldn't shock me if Kansas State gets the win.
2: Can't wait for it. 869-1240. We can go back to it. We will uh, go back to some of those NFL nuggets we mentioned uh, right before we broke this one down. That's coming up Sports Daily on a Tuesday. Brock and Caster will be right back. Sports Daily on a Tuesday. We're all excited about the college basketball tonight. Uh, Just counting it down. You'll hear it uh, right here on KFH. The Jayhawk call. The Jayhawk Radio Network, as always here. Um, All right, let's, let's circle back a little bit here, Tommy, to this Chargers situation. So they fire offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and their quarterback coach. That tells me that they're going to stick with Brandon Staley because they would have made wholesale changes and announced that otherwise. So they've made their decision. Again, I think it would have been a tough call for an organization that likes Staley for a locker room that likes Staley and a guy that's won nine and 10 games in his first two years. I get it. I get not wanting to make that call. So if they're sticking with Staley now, it's interesting to look at the offensive coordinator position because there's a couple of guys, I think, that make some sense that maybe do provide the experience that the Chargers so desperately need. It's not going to be Cliff Kingsbury, who's one of those names who apparently has run off to Thailand and is having a great time. <laughs> uh, hard to blame him. But but what about Frank Reich, right, in Indianapolis and his experience in that role? I, I think experience in the room will be important here To whatever it is the Chargers decide to do, if you roll with Staley, getting somebody with some experience there to me makes a lot of sense. And there will be names like Mike Kafka, but he's probably going to be a head coach, and like you know, you can target it that way. But I guess I get the plan for the Chargers, and I really do think it's just that they really like Brandon Staley, and so do the players
4: it makes a ton of sense to bring Frank Reich in and be the offensive coordinator and work with Justin Herbert for a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, he's not going to be a head coach this upcoming cycle. Uh, I don't think he's not on. I don't think he's going to be on the list uh, to do that. So that's number one. So I think he should be available for the job. Number two, when it ultimately doesn't work for Brandon Staley and ownership fires him, Frank Reich would be a good interim head coach to replace Brandon Staley and maybe for the permanent job. So I think that that makes sense. Uh, I would be on board with that, uh, him being the offensive coordinator. But I'm, I'm still on record. I, I think that they would be completely better off to make a move away from Brandon Staley right now. Uh, I get that he's well-liked. I get that he's got a good rapport with the players. But just the mismanagement of the roster and especially the mismanagement of the game against the Jaguars, to me, I don't know why you keep him because there's really nothing that, as far as in-game is concerned, that would inspire me to think that it's going to be any different moving forward.
2: Well, I, I think because I think because you still have a young head coach that we have to give the ability to improve. I, I absolutely think he got better from year one to year two. He was better this year than he was two years ago. Yeah, but that's so, all
4: relative, right? He went from, like, what? bad to mediocre from year one to year two. Like we're not talking like he went okay to great. Like he went from bad to, I guess all right this season.
2: Well, I think he made better in game decisions throughout the year. I think Herbert certainly was back closer to what we were used to seeing this year. And again, and only because I've heard some of the players talk about it. I I think that the players love this guy. And you know, I've heard former players, I heard Antonio Gates, I think he was on maybe the Zach Gelb show at some point here on on this network. And he 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 acted like it would be criminal if they got rid of Brandon Staley. That is how well liked he is in that organization and, and among those players. We saw Joey Bosa, who can act like a knucklehead at times, be quick to defend him. Like, do not put that on him, that's on me, kind of stuff. So I do think that stuff matters, and I think it matters to young quarterbacks. Ultimately, it's all about Justin Herbert. He's still young enough that that's critical for him. And stability is important for young quarterbacks, too. So now Lombardi's had his time there. Now it's time to, you know, and and I don't, you know, Frank Reich is interesting because I think we all like the guy, but I think that he had – a lot of questionable decisions, head coach in Indianapolis, right? Like run the ball, give it to Jonathan Taylor, all the things that he struggled he's to do But he's very too.
4: familiar with the franchise. He played for the Chargers. Right. Um, you know, and and as far as experienced offensive coordinators, and that's been a big question with guys like Brandon Staley is that you're a first-time head coach. And bringing somebody in that has a little bit more experience in that role to help you along um, should, in theory, help. Like, I mean, it didn't really in – Denver because what Nathaniel Hackett brought in Jerry Rosberg to try to help him that didn't really work for Nathaniel Hackett and Jerry Rosberg took over as interim head coach when they fired Hackett so that doesn't always work but you would think that pairing up a young head coach with somebody that's got a little bit more experience like Frank Reich could work a little bit better I don't think it will and I think they'll ultimately fire Staley and I think Frank Reich will at least take over on the interim.
2: It's a big year and that's a big spot that becomes as interesting as anything, I think, because you may see guys that could be head coaches who would rather go take that job and catapult into a better job. Like it it really is a sort of a needle mover to one, take that head coaching job off the market, but then introduce the OC with, you know, in the conversation for most gifted young quarterbacks in the league.
4: And now we know Jim Harbaugh is staying in Michigan, and so that's one potential head coach that's off the market. Uh, And so who knows? It's going to be interesting.
2: Yeah, it it will be. All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap up this Tuesday. We will get you uh, what's on tap here throughout the networks. It's all coming up as we finish up on a Tuesday on Sports Daily. (sighs)
0: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?